It's funny how the same person is different to different people. I don't mean they, you know, sometimes people act differently depending on who they're, who they're with, but uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying depending on how people relate to them, they're different to you. Uh, so take my wife, Katie. Uh, she obviously comes at the 10.30 service. Uh, to some of you, she might, you might uh, see her as a friend and she's in your life every now and again. Uh, to other, others of you, she's just a regular All Saints member. Uh, to others, she's someone that you don't know at all. But of course, to me, uh, she is the most significant person on this earth. She's the person I know better than anyone else. She's, of course, the same person, but she's different to different people. Uh, we're here in church, and so we're thinking about God. Have, have you ever thought that God is different to each of us? He's the same inside himself, but he's different to you and to you and to you. And so, who is God to you? I've brought some possibilities. Is God to you like a, like a soft toy? Uh, a comfort to know that he's there. Someone to, to metaphorically cuddle when things get hard. Uh, you know, maybe doesn't have much sway over your life, but you're glad he's there. Or maybe... Maybe God to you is like a, uh, like a precious necklace, very precious to you. But most of the time you close up and keep it safe. But you bring it out for some special occasions. Maybe God is like, uh, maybe like this. Maybe he's one of many gods, one of many priorities in your life. And so there's, there's God, uh, who you take seriously, but also you no, but you also uh, uh, follow and and uh, and throw your heart into other things as well, to varying degrees. God's just one of many uh, uh, things in your life. Or maybe, and this is the hardest visual aid to uh, to work out. Uh, maybe God is like uh, like a ball of wool to a cat. You know what cats do with balls of wool? You know, they kind of toy at it, they kind of prod it sometimes, sometimes they leave it alone. But basically, uh, it's not, you know, balls of wool don't like being around cats. They just get hassled or harangued all the time. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's God to you. And so he's different to each of us. But of course, Katie is Katie. She's the same person. Each of us just know and relate to her differently. But also God is the same, no matter how you relate to him. And so what our passage is showing us today is who God is. And so the question for all of us is, does the way we see God line up with who God actually is? Does the way we see God line up with who God actually is? Uh, there, There will be some variation between how we relate to God but does it relate, does it line up, does it align with who God actually is? Because today we will see who God actually is. And because we're hearing from the word of God, be prepared to be transformed today. May your perception of God be changed today. That's what I'd love to see in each of us. Uh, it actually uh, ties in with my uh, spiritual growth area in my small for my small group. 
uh, all year I've been committed to uh, appreciating the greatness of God. Well, this passage helps me do that all the more. So let me pray that this might happen today. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you make yourself known to us. And I pray that as you make yourself known, you will transform the way that we see you, our perception of you, and the way we relate to you, so that it lines up and is appropriate to the amazing God that you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's head to Exodus to see how see God as he actually is. If you have a Bible, turn back to Exodus chapter 5. 5 through 10 is our, uh, our allotted passage uh, today. We won't read every word, but we'll, we'll uh, get, the, get the overview. Uh, we're in part two of our series uh, of Exodus from slavery to service. Uh, we're still in the slavery part. God's people are still slaves in Egypt. Uh, but before we look at these chapters, we need to remember the background uh, to, the, to the story, which is the promise of God. The promise of God is behind all, uh, all the story of Exodus, uh, particularly God's promise to Abraham. Let me remind you of this, and I'll read it out to you from Genesis 12. Uh, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to, to the land I will show you. So the land is promised. I will make you into a great nation. So offspring is promised. And I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So it's a promise to all of us through Abraham. Uh, but have a look in Exodus the descendants of Abraham are awaiting the fulfillment of these promises. Uh, but have a look at that uh, last couple of lines. In there, it's, whoever curses you, I will curse, promises God. So right from the start, those who opposed God, uh, God's chosen people, he promises to curse them. And that's really helpful to, to appreciate when it comes to Pharaoh and the plagues which we've heard. But let's fast forward to Exodus chapter 5. As I said, God's people are in slavery in Egypt. Not the blessing that they had hoped for. Uh, not in the land that they had been promised. And yet we get a sign that God is, is, uh, is uh, coming to reveal himself, fulfill his promises. We saw last week in the bush that was aflamed, God revealed himself to Moses, gave him his name, Yahweh or the Lord in capital letters in our Bibles. And God sends Moses and his brother Aaron to Pharaoh to demand God's people be let go. But have a look at your Bibles. Let's see how, let's see how that goes. <laughs> uh, chapter 5, verse 1. says, After Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, uh, sorry, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So probably not what Aaron and Moses was expecting. Here's God revealing himself in, in a blaze of glory, and yet here's Pharaoh. Pharaoh refusing to do what God says. Do you see Pharaoh's problem here? 
He doesn't know Yahweh. Pharaoh knows the Egyptian gods, but he doesn't know Yahweh. So why should I obey your silly God, Moses? asked Pharaoh. God is different to Pharaoh than he is to Moses. You know, to Moses, he's the personal God who's made great promises. He's worthy of worship and obedience. To Pharaoh, he's just a God seeking to disrupt the state labor program. And so Pharaoh shows no respect to Yahweh. But is Pharaoh's perception of God in line with who God actually is? Well, as the chapter goes on, Pharaoh not only refuses to let the Israelites go, he of course doesn't want to lose his slave slave labor force who's building all these cities for him, but he is truly harsh with them. He's truly harsh with them. And so because Moses asked him to let his people go, Pharaoh stops the supply of straw uh, for the brick making, you know, to make bricks. Back in the day, you needed mud, you needed straw. But no more straw for you. Oh, don't don't drop your, your productivity. You need to make the same amount of bricks. But you need to now collect your own straw as well. And so for the Hebrews, already worked so hard. That was impossible. It's too much. But the slave drivers drove them harder and harder. And so what we're seeing here is Pharaoh seeking to thwart God's promises. His promise of freedom and blessing of his people. Pharaoh's trying to stop that from happening. He's trying to, he's, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's like that cat with the ball of wool. He's toying with Israel's God saying, Oh no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna listen to you. Yes, I'll prod you, Yahweh. I'll be harsh with your people. What are you going to do about it? Uh, we have in these chapters, Pharaoh versus Yahweh. And it appears in the, it, it refle- is reflected in the text. So in verse 1, Moses says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. But then Pharaoh, in direct competition, a little bit later on in the chapter, says, This is what Pharaoh says. I'll not give you any more straw. You declare this, Yahweh. Well, I declare that. And I think I'm the one in charge here. It's my country. So Pharaoh is cursing God's people with overly harsh work. And if if there's one thing that God hates, it's injustice. God hates injustice. He hates the injustice of Pharaoh over the Israelites. And today he hates the injustice of our world in so many forms. I'm sure many of you do as well. And God hates injustice, but he's willing to do something about it. He's able to do something about it, especially when it involves his people. Remember his promise, I will curse those who curse you. It does bring us into some uneasy uh, places with God. Remember, we're thinking about how, who is God to you? Is God a God who brings justice and judgment and punishment? We can often shirk back at that thought. We can be embarrassed by it towards others. 
But we want justice, right? We want justice in our world. We want justice for those trapped in modern day slavery. We want justice for the minority groups that are discriminated against. We want justice for those who have wronged me or have hurt me or damaged me. God is a God who is willing and able to bring justice. He does it in his own time, in his own way, but he, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. And here we see grave injustice towards God's people as Pharaoh is harsh with him. So here's what God will do. Flick over to chapter 7, which was one of our readings today, chapter 7. Let me read from verse 3. God says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. See how God will bring justice? He will even harden Pharaoh's heart. He'll bring mighty acts of judgment on the nation. And the result is, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Okay, so the stage is set for the battle with the gods of Egypt. Oh, goodness me, look at my punctuation there. That is terrible. Ignore the apostrophe, little g. We'll deal. Okay, what follows, what follows, apart from bad grammar, is nine plagues that uh, God sends on Egypt. Uh, nine curses that God inflicts on Pharaoh and the Egyptians so that they will know him. Uh, so there's the plague of blood, where the Nile uh, runs blood. Uh, there's a pl- plague of frogs, where the land teems with frogs. Uh, then gnats fill the land, little insects. A uh, similar thing happens with the plague of flies, which was read to us. I thought on a sunny day that was the appropriate uh, plague to choose. Uh, then God declares all the livestock in Egypt to die. Next, it affects people person, uh, physically. Boils appear on their skin. Uh, the worst hailstorm they've ever seen comes. Uh, there's a plague of locusts. Don't know about you, but I've driven through country New South Wales when a locust plague comes through. Uh, it's not fun cleaning your car after after that. Uh, much less fun, of course, for the farmers whose crops they all uh, all eat. And then the plague of darkness is plague number nine. Uh, there's one more plague, but that will come next week. So what's going on here? What's going on here? What do we see of God through these plagues? Well, firstly, as Yahweh does battle with the gods of Egypt, he displays his power over creation, doesn't he? And this starts with Aaron. Oh, one second. This starts with Aaron throwing down his staff and it becomes a snake. I did have the thought to get a rubber snake and then throw that out to you at that time. But I'll spare that for today. Uh, obviously it didn't happen because, you know, I'm not Aaron, I'm not God, still a piece of wood, 
but that happened. God changed a piece of wood into a snake. Now it's recorded uh, that the Egyptian magicians did the same thing. But God's snake ate up all the other ones, showing his power over them. And just like God created the world in the beginning, these curses brought a process of almost decreation. You know, God created all the, all the plants in the beginning, and yet here all the crops are destroyed. God created all the animals, but here the livestock uh, are destroyed. God said, let there be light, but he brought darkness, a darkness that could be felt. Decreation was seen all over Egypt. And yet Yahweh does the miraculous in his mercy as well. Each time, each plague is not just a, a, a judgment, but also an act of mercy as the plague is uh, removed. He gets rid of the flies. He stops the hail. He sends the locusts into the Red Sea. God has complete power over creation, both in judgment and in mercy. But also what we see of God is God has power over hearts, over the human heart. So like as you read through uh, the, the accounts of all the plagues, uh, there's differences between all of them, but the pattern generally goes like this. Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go. God sends a plague. Pharaoh seems to repent or at least calls for the plague to stop. But in the end, Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. And the way it's described is intriguing. So in, in a couple of the plagues, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. That is, Pharaoh determined in himself not to obey the command of Yahweh to let his people go. don't know if you've played with Plato recently. You know, Plato you can mold and shape. But if you leave it out into the sun, it gets hardened and you can't mold it anymore. Pharaoh says that Pharaoh did that with his heart. He hardened it himself. But in four of the plagues, it says that Pharaoh's heart became or was hard. Don't get any clear idea of, of why that uh, occurred or what was the, the reason for that or the source of that, I should say. But in three plagues, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord actively worked in Pharaoh's heart and made it hard, made it not malleable. How does this work? Well, it speaks to the fact that Pharaoh was responsible for his actions and decisions. He hardened his own heart. It wasn't like Pharaoh was saying, oh Lord, I'm trying to do my best to please you, but I keep slipping up. Please help me. And God kind of forced him to still do the wrong thing. No, Pharaoh was responsible for his disobedience and God held him to account. Same for people today. We all have responsibility for what we do, whether we obey God or not. And yet God works in his heart so that Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. It seems Egypt won't fully know Yahweh until all his wonders are displayed. And so we see a God who is determined to get his way. Yahweh's will and decree will come to pass. And so again, as we seek to know God, we can get hung up 
over God's sovereignty over all things, alongside our responsibility to obey and uh, and worship God. Again, another point of embarrassment for us in some t- at some times. Uh, we can think that it means our actions and intentions, they're overrided by God, that we actually don't have any responsibility in our lives. But that's not how it's presented here. For us, we have a genuine responsibility on how we live our lives. But also, God is sovereign, even over our hearts. And so, will you let God be the God he says he is? Or do you want to keep forming God in the shape that you think he should be? Oh, I don't like that about God. That's not a God I like. He must be this instead. We need to let God be this God who reveals himself. None of us have power over someone else's heart, but God does. He rules our hearts so that his purposes are fulfilled. And finally, through the plagues, we see God overcoming every other God in Egypt. You know, the Pharaohs, uh, Pharaohs themselves saw themselves as sons of Ra, sons of God. And yet look how God treated Pharaoh. Humiliated. But also each of the plagues give us uh, an indication of God uh, over any other deity out there. And so the Nile turns to blood. Oh, no, I've got the wrong one. Uh, the No, sorry, before this, let me go back to the frog, frog god in a minute. Uh, the Nile turns to blood. The Nile was revered and worshipped by the Egyptians as kind of their life source. God dispatches of it, turns it to blood. Uh, gods, Egypt's gods were humiliated through Yahweh. So there's the god Heket, the god of fertility, who's depicted in the form of a frog. As the former pharaoh sought to attack the fertility of the Israelites, God now with the plague of frogs attacks the fertility god. Or the Egyptian god Hathor, who's depicted as a cow. Well, God dispatches of all the cows in uh, in Egypt. And the ultimate humiliation, the ultimate god of Egypt, the sun god Ra, is defeated with the plague of darkness. God is has complete power over anything we may worship. All the gods in Egypt, all the all the gods they held dear, all the gods they trusted in, they worshiped, they sought to to please, brought down by Yahweh. And so God has power over creation. He has power over our hearts and God overcomes the God of Egypt. And so God today is revealing himself to you. Who is God to you? You know, if we're toying with God, if we're playing with him, let's take heed of the example of Pharaoh. God will not put up with it. Or maybe we have, you know, maybe God is one thing that's key to our lives, but we've got, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes we'll compromise God to, uh, to, uh, compromise our, our faith in God just to get ahead and make life easier at work. Or maybe we'll put God aside just so we can be a little bit selfish at home. Maybe there are other gods at play that stop us from worshipping God wholeheartedly. Uh, or maybe if God is just a precious thing that we take out every now and again or uh, a, a comfort, just a cuddly thing that we have in our heads. 
then maybe we don't appreciate the full glory of God, the full power of God. His demand not just to be uh, to be kind of alongside us, but to be over us, to steer our lives, to call us to obey Him, to have Him as our greatest treasure in our hearts. For there's an even greater revelation to come, greater than the plagues. We see God even more clearly in the person of Jesus. We'll see his glory all the more next week as we look at the Passover. But even from here, in the book of Acts, we say that, uh, the apostles say that he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he, that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge over the living and the dead. We need to recognize this of Jesus as we follow him. And yet, of course, he is the one where we see the mercy of God most clearly. For the ultimate curse, the ultimate plague fell on Jesus himself on the cross. Jesus experiences the death of the firstborn that we'll see next week. So that we, when we don't worship God exclusively... When we do toy with him or ignore him, we may be pardoned by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to face the curse of God. Jesus has faced it for us. And so God is calling you and me to live our lives for him, to know God as God, as king, as ruler. He must be the Lord to you and me. But let us reflect on his holiness and his mercy in the Lord Jesus. We'll do that in the Lord's Supper in a little bit. But first, let us sing and reflect on the holiness, the greatness, the glory of God.